Okay, we are going to be primarily in Hebrews this morning, but um, we're doing kind of a, a one-off a series right now, taking a break from Matthew as we go through um, an Advent series um, here at the both locations. And uh, the, the hope of doing an Advent series really is to try to prepare all of our hearts for Christmas. It, it can be hard to prepare for Christmas because we're so distracted by so many things. There, there's so many things vying for our attention and so many things trying to capture our focus. And it's very easy at a time like this to, to focus on all the wrong things, right? So, so we're hoping that uh, maybe the most important thing won't get overshadowed. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is, this is what Christmas is about. This is the time of year where we remember that. And, and, and Christ should outshine everything else. And it's hard, it's hard for that to happen, but, but that should be the first reason for celebration of the season. And so we're trying to spur that on in you. So we're looking at how Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And, and then at our Christmas service, we're going we're gonna to look at how, even though he's all of those wonderful things, he was also the suffering servant that came for us. The roles of, of prophet and priest and king are, are fairly, you know, we're, we're somewhat familiar with them. They're all very important and all very necessary in our lives. But to have one person that, that can be all of those things for us and, and fulfill that role perfectly is, is an unimaginable gift, especially when you consider those who have attempted to fill these roles. Because whether you realize it or not, you know, whether it's the Old Testament, you look at how they tried to fulfill those roles then, or today how people are still trying to fill, fulfill those roles, they, they all have the same thing in common. They, they, they fail to do so well. Um, every once in a while, you know, you get glimpses of hope, but, but all in all, they, they don't do a great job. And today we don't really have people who label themselves as prophet, priest, and king, but they're still there. They're out there. They're trying to, to vie for those positions. So, you, you know, think about all the people that want to speak into your life and tell you what you're supposed to believe and how you're supposed to act and what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to tolerate and on and on it goes. And, and these sources are, are loud and constant whether it's the media or professors or teachers or, or filmmakers. It just drives me crazy how they sneak these things into so many TV shows and films now, constantly hoping that you don't notice while they just continue to teach you and tell you things and try to get your attention. Politicians, obviously, are doing this. Social media influencers. I don't, I don't have a TikTok account, and I will never have one, Lord willing. But I know that there are people that all they want to do is influence and influence and influence. So there are people who want to be prophets in our lives and tell us how to live. There are people who want to be priests in our lives and be those go-betweens, get in there and, and try to be fixers in our life and, and solve things. And of course, there are people who are trying to be kings in our life and lead us and, and control what we do and where we go and all those kinds of things. And th- that's, it's, it's always going to be there to some degree. They're, like I said, these voices are loud, they're strong, and people do listen to them and are influenced by them and follow them. But they all have the same thing in common. <laughs> they're all unreliable because they're flawed, sinful people. Every one of us has that. So, so none of them are going to always get it right. Very often they're going to get it wrong. Seeing it done wrong should make us long for the one who won't get it wrong, who gets it right every time. And God has provided for us someone like this in the person of Christ, the perfect prophet, priest, and king. A better prophet than Moses, a better priest than Aaron, and a better king than David. And he's ours. God has given to us to, to enjoy and to benefit from. He can effectively speak on the behalf of God. He can effectively mediate for us. And he can effectively lead us in integrity and with justice. So this means that um, we have reason for joy and peace 
not only during the Christmas season, but every single day of the year. So hopefully Christmas is the only time when you think about this stuff. I always feel it's Christmas is a hard time to do a sermon because you want to try to make it as special as possible. It's hard to improve on Christ and what he's done. So, um, but we have every reason to just be filled with, with all kinds of hope this morning. So this morning we're going to be looking at Jesus' role as our priest. A priest would have been something very familiar and meaningful to the Jewish people. It was part of their culture. may not be as familiar to us. Um, might not have as much significance as, as maybe they had, but some of you, like me, were ro- raised Roman Catholic. I don't know if there's any recovering Catholics in the house, but I was raised around priests. I remember uh, what this was like. Um, so, uh, so we have some understanding, maybe not as much in the you know, same context, but some understanding. So let's start out by answering the question, what is a priest? What was their job? And why do we need them? And generally speaking, a priest is a go-between. They act as a representative who mediates between God and man. And the reason this is necessary because of our sin. Our sin has separated us from a holy God. And this makes complete sense to me because if, if God cannot be in the presence of sin, that means that I can't walk up to God, right? I, I get this. Um, it, it's kind of like I picture something like, you know, what happened when Indiana Jones tried to open the ark. If I were to walk up to God in my unholiness, I expect something terrible to happen. So when Isaiah said, woe is me, I am undone, I get this. Because I understand in my sinfulness and my selfishness and my rebellion how, how God wouldn't be able to do this, and, and I wouldn't be able to do it. So this means I have no direct access or relationship to God. I'm cut off from him. And this is where a priest would come in. If you needed to confess a sin or ask forgiveness or submit a request for a need that you had, it had to be done through a priest. So Hebrews 5.1 says, Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So that's the job of the priest. He's there to help you to secure forgiveness and favor through prayers, through gifts, through sacrifices offered to God on your behalf. And as I mentioned earlier, I, you know, growing up Roman Catholic, uh, the idea of needing a priest in order to relate to God or interact with God or stay right with God is familiar with me. And it'll probably come as a huge shock to you, but most of the time when I had to go see a priest, it was for confession. No, it's true. I know you guys are all saying, there's no way that's right. Yeah. Um, Now, you might not be familiar with that, but even if you weren't raised Catholic, you've seen the movies where you you go into the little wooden booth and you sit down and and the priest is next to you in another little wooden booth with a little thing between you. And you start out by saying, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Step one. And then you have to tell him how long it's been since your last confession. Now, both of these things are, are, are tough because you're tempted to lie, which defeats the whole purpose of confession. But you don't want to say it's been too long because then he's going to think, you know, poorly of you. And you certainly don't want to tell him everything you've done, but you want to make it believable. <laughs> so that's a, that was my method anyway, because what's going to happen next is he's going to give you something to do to make up for all this stuff. So if you don't want to go too far, you know, don't, don't go crazy. Just give him enough to give you something. I usually got off pretty easily. Um, he would tell me that I had to, to say the rosary a bunch of times. That was my penance. And the idea of penance is this is how you can make things right again by going and do this. If you're not familiar with the rosary, this is where you have the, the crucifix on a beaded necklace um, that you would pray through this, this rosary. And you, you, know, you would pray the, uh, the Apostles' Creed, the Act of Contrition, Our Father, and the Hail Mary, which... Um, if you're not familiar with, with, with this, you know, this is kind of, I would get like 10 of these I'd have to do. There's 50 Hail Marys per session. All right. So if you want to know, you guys know I talk fast and I'm hard to track with. It's their stinking fault right there. <laughs> They're the ones that did this to me because I can say Hail Mary in about five seconds. 
I can say I'm really, I still remember it. I can still say it, but I got through it as fast as I could because, you know, let's get this out of the way and then I can go back to my normal life, living the way I was before. That's how I thought. So the idea was that somehow I had satisfied God through this act of repentance. And now I could, you know, just, just go on the way things were. And this made sense to me because there's something, you know, this, this makes sense to us. If we do something, we're good again. That, that's how we kind of operate in our minds. Uh, it's a practical way to earn your forgiveness. And, and so, you know, I've offended God, but I brought an offering and now we're good again. I'm sure this would have made sense to a Jewish person as well. This is exactly what their system was like. So they didn't have to do a bunch of rosaries, but think about all of the different rituals and offerings and days and sacrifices and ceremonies they had to do. It was a lot of stuff. So I went along with this way of interacting with God for quite a long time until I started to become kind of troubled by a couple of obvious flaws that I saw in the system. Flaw number one was, how do you know when you've done enough? See, it's, it's pretty easy when, you, when you've done a couple of little sins. You know, I lied, I, I was mean to my brother, I talked back to my mom. But the older I got, the bigger my sins got, and the more frequent they seemed to get. So, so now I started thinking, well, what, what if I do one of the big ones? Now what? Or what if I amass so many little ones that, that I, I can't, you know, when do I know that we're still good here? How do I know when, when I've done enough? So that was the first flaw. And my deficit became pretty big, so I realized this isn't, this isn't working very well. Second flaw is how do you know the priest that you're dealing with is an effective go-between, right? Think about that, you know? Is this guy good at his job? Is he, is he mailing it in, or is he really doing, is, you know, is he, is, he, is he doing the right stuff before God, and is he giving me the right prescription that I need so that things are right? I don't know. Does he take it seriously? All those things started entering into my mind. So the point is you'd better get a, a really good priest that knows what he's doing or, or you might be in trouble. And of course, there were good priests, but, but all of them are flawed, as I've already said. They all have one thing in common. They're, they're sinful, flawed people. There's nothing comforting about putting your fate in the hands of sinful men, right? And I, and I can relate to this. As pastors, we, 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 um, we kind of have to deal with this idea. There's so many people that think of us as like holy men, try to call us things like reverend. Don't ever call me that, please. That's weird. <laughs> Uh, you know, this idea that they look to us to try to solve all their problems and answer all, th- this is a terrifying thing to think about because really when it comes down to, I'm just a beggar who found where the bread is trying to show other, bre- you know, beggars where the bread is. That's what, that's what pastors do. We're flawed, sinful people. And if you've ever preached a sermon, you know how terrifying this is because we're standing up here saying, this is how you're supposed to live and this is what you're supposed to do. And most of the time we're preaching it to ourselves, sometimes even more than you as we're going through this. You feel, you can feel like a hypocrite very easily. But I just want to say I'm really grateful for a church like this, that, that the people, um, they don't have to pretend here to have everything together. You don't have to, and we don't have to. And that's rare. It's unusual. That's not true in a lot of churches, because a lot of pastors have to constantly protect their image and their family's image and put on this, this kind of a show, keep some distance, make sure that you know, nobody really knows. And I don't know, you guys might think you guys could probably do that a little bit, <laughs> but we don't. Um, can you imagine the pressure that would be put on you and your family if, if you had to always pretend like you had it all together all the time? It, it, it would be exhausting. And no wonder so many pastors are burning out or just flat out wiping out because of this. So it's no surprise, we say this a lot, but the best thing about me is Jesus. Take Jesus away, <laughs> gets pretty ugly quick. Bring him back in, and, and this is why any of us can you know, do things like this. So, so this is um, the bottom line. We need a better priest. We also need a better system. 
And this is where Jesus comes in to save the day by taking care of both. So first we're going to look at how he takes care of the problem of needing a better priest. But before we jump into that, there's a problem we kind of have to address um, because some of you guys are good students of your Bible and you know, you know what the problem is. There's an immediate issue with Jesus being appointed as a priest. And that is because according to Jewish law, you had to be from what tribe in order to be a priest? Levi. Was Jesus from the tribe of Levi? No, he was not. He was from the tribe of Judah. Uh-oh, we, we're already got a, we already got a problem here. How can Jesus be the priest that saves the day if he isn't qualified under Jewish law? And the answer is he can't, at least not under Levitical law, not under the priesthood of the, of the Levites. But what if there was another priesthood that God had established in the Old Testament, a better priesthood that he kind of snuck in there when nobody was looking? He did. In Hebrews 5, it tells us, First about Jesus' appointment and then about what kind of priest he was. And I love this. It's Hebrews 5, 5 says, so Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest. This is important. You don't just say, I'm going to be a pastor. I've decided to be a priest. I've just, you need to be appointed to that by God. This is important. Jesus was appointed. And he was appointed when God said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. But then it goes on to say in another place, he said, you are a priest forever in the order of Levi? No. Melchizedek, which is a fun name that you don't get to say very often, right? Melchizedek. Everybody's going, who's this? What? He's a, he's a weird kind of an enigma wrapped in a riddle, bound up in a mystery in the Old Testament. Um, Genesis 14, Abraham has this encounter with this guy. A man named Melchizedek who is just called the priest of the Most High God. Right? Kind of weird. This happened some six or 700 years before the Levitical priesthood was established. Hebrews 7 says this about him. It's fascinating. 7.3. He is without father or mother or genealogy. That's weird. <laughs> Having neither beginning of days nor end of life. That's unusual. But resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. Not only is he referred to as the priest of the Most High God, by the way, but his actual name means King of Righteousness. And his title, King of Salem, means King of Peace. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Like, I know a guy like this. This reminds me of somebody. It's like God had a perfect priest in mind all along, and he gave us a sneak preview in the Old Testament of, of, of this, the, who this would be, so that we would know him when we saw him. And why do we need a different kind of priest? Well, Hebrews 7, 11 tells us why. It says that if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, there would be no need for another one to rise up, to bring perfect, but there is a need for another one. And this is a priest that can bring us perfection. So, so that's why Jesus needs to be a priest like Melchizedek. Now, some even think that Melchizedek was actually Jesus showing up in the Old Testament, what we would call a Christophany. That's the theological word for it, where sometimes God would just show up in the form of a person and do something, and, and sometimes Christ would show up. And this could be that. Um, I don't know, but it sure looks kind of like Jesus. And this is just weird, but don't, don't you know, get too crazy with this, but I think it's cool. When they met and, and Melchizedek is blessing Abraham, guess what he brings out in the middle of this time? Bread and wine. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, just it's like, can you imagine having communion with the pre-incarnate Christ? You know, it, it talks about how the, the gospel was preached to Abraham beforehand. I don't know, but this is kind of cool to me. So the point is this. God was setting the stage for another priesthood that wouldn't fit the mold of what the Jewish people had in mind at all, but it would be legitimate and it would even be ultimate. 
All of this is to say that Jesus is a different kind of priest, a better priest. So what is different about Jesus? What makes him better? And we're going to focus on three reasons, his effectiveness, his empathy, and his eternality. First one is the fact that he's a more effective priest. Now, in the minute, we're, we're going to talk about how Jesus is more effective because of the covenant that he's a part of. He's part of a better covenant, better sacrifice. We're, we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, I want to focus on something I already touched on, and that is our need for better representation. Okay? I already talked about how I, I don't want to put my fate in the hands of a sinful man, even if he's a good priest or whatever this is. I, I want to go between that's the best possible person that there is for, you know, if I'm going to stand before Holy God and I need somebody to represent me, I want, I want it to be the best possible person that there is. Because we're talking about eternity here, right? This is, this is a big deal. And we've all gotten used to examples of corrupt representation, whether it's lawyers or politicians or, you know, whatever it is. And unfortunately, the same is true of the priesthood. All the priests who have ever existed have been flawed in that sense, that they're corrupted because of their sin. And, and that makes them, in my mind, unfit to represent me when it comes to my eternity. So that's not the case with Jesus. Hebrews 7, 6 says this about Jesus. For it indeed was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. If I get a vote, it's like, I want this guy to be my priest. I pick him every time. This guy sounds like a great representative. And these things obviously make him a better and more effective priest. But it gets even better than that because of the hypostatic union of Christ. And I know most of you are saying, when's he going to get to that, right? Well, you're welcome. I'm just kidding. That's just a big theological term that, that means it talks about the dual nature of Jesus. So he was fully God and he was fully man at the same time. How does that work? I don't know. I'm not good at story problems. That kind of stuff makes your head just kind of go, but 100% man, 100% God. This is the time of year when we celebrate what we refer to as the incarnation of Christ, or that the Word became flesh, that He became like us. Um, Jesus eternally possessed the divine nature, but at some point He took on our nature as well, which means He's now got a human nature like we do. And this is really good news because it just adds to His effectiveness as our high priest. See, with His divine nature, He is able to draw near to God and relate to God, and with His human nature, He's able to draw near to us and relate to us. This makes him the perfect go-between for us. And that brings us to the second thing that makes him a better priest for us, that he is an empathetic priest. Hebrews 2.17 says that Jesus had to be made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest for us. Merciful and faithful are two of my favorite things in a priest, I would just say. I like both of those. I want those for sure. But, but, but I also want a priest that can relate to me, to the way I think, to the way my heart is, to the, to the thoughts and the, the sinful things that go on. I want somebody that can, that can understand that somewhat. Verse 18 says that Jesus does that as well. It says that because he suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And this is incredible news. It means that God knows exactly what it's like to be us because he came, became like us. So he knows, he knows what it's like to live in one of these. That's, a, that's remarkable. That means he understands us. That means he can relate to our struggles. He, he knows exactly what it's like to, to go through what we went through. Temptation, desire, sadness, hunger, fatigue, discouragement, disappointment, betrayal, all of those things. He went through those as well. 
So we have a priest who can fully sympathize with us. This is what Hebrews 4.15 says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is important. He's still a perfect priest, still sinless, but he can relate to us. That's the priest for me. (laughs) That's the one I want, for sure. The fact that Jesus understands us makes it possible for him to go to the Father to be the, the one who arbitrates for us and advocates for us. Hebrews 4 goes on to, to say that having a priest like this to represent us will give us confidence. You know, I talked about trying to stand before a holy God, the terrifying thought of that. But, but now it says, no, no, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. And there's even more good news regarding the priesthood of, of Jesus because his priesthood never ends. He, he's eternal. Uh, I love this, uh, the, the Jared Wilson had this quote that popped up in my feed this week, and it said, the incarnation is a miracle with no expiration date. <laughs> That's pretty cool. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's your priest forever. Huh? Hebrews 7.24, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, this is the best part, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He can save you to the uttermost because he always lives to make intercession for you. Doesn't that sound good? I I need that. I love the way God has laid this out for us, because if, if you're anything like me, there are times when you just think, you know what? God has probably had about enough of my antics, and, and he's probably going to change his mind at some point. There's, we're going to get to that point where he's going to like, look, enough. Enough is enough, all right? And change his mind, and the whole thing's off, and, and I'm, I'm in trouble. I think that way because I understand who I am, and I, I don't know why he would put up with a guy like me. But according to this verse, it's not possible because it tells me that Jesus will never give up on me. He will never stop saving me. He continually puts himself between me and the Father, the righteous judge, and mediates for me, arbitrates. Okay, so Jesus is the best priest we could ever want. He can advocate for us. He can represent us before a holy God, but that only solves part of our problem because you can have the best lawyer in the world, but if the evidence is against you and the penalty for your sins hasn't been dealt with, you will still rightly be condemned. I can do rosaries, I can do rituals, I can do acts of righteousness all day long, and it still won't be able to remove my guilt or get me out of the punishment that I deserve. So not only do we need a better priest, but we need a better system for salvation. Okay? Bear with me, because I know that you know there is one, but we're walking through this. You're like, what's going on? Am I not saved? Hang in there. (laughs) There was one minor flaw with, with the old sacrificial system, whether it's Judaism or whether it's, you know, works-based religions like Catholicism, there's one minor flaw with it. It can't actually save sinners, okay? That's kind of a big deal if you're a sinner, by the way, all right? Hebrews 10 says this, that the sacrifices continually offered year after year were not able to perfect anyone because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This is all they did all the time. Hebrews 10.11 goes on to explain the futility of the old sacrificial system by saying every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Think about that. Most of us can't appreciate what it would have been like to live in this culture of of, of, the Jewish sacrificial system, 
um, thinking about all the things that they had to observe and, and the rituals and the offerings and the special days and all this. But, but just to give you a little picture of it, every day, morning and evening, the priest would sacrifice a lamb. And there was a lot involved with, with all of that. It was, a, it was a, a whole lot. You can read about it, but this was an everyday thing. Two lambs. So if a priest just was a priest for 30 years, that would be roughly 20,000 lambs. One priest. Think about that. Day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. And that wasn't all. Every time a person sinned or wanted to you know, offer thanks to God or because they become unclean or um, needed to make right with somebody else or whatever it was, they had to either bring a goat or a lamb or a dove or a pigeon or flower or whatever it happened to be, bring that to the priest, and then he would make an offering to be, you know, be between you and God and, and, and try to score things out again. This was, imagine having to go to your priest all the time with a different animal for a different offense on a different day and keep track of that. Okay, was it, was it flower this time? Was it a pigeon this time? Did I go last week? Did I do? Thinking about that all the time. This would have been, this, the daily maintenance of this would have been absolutely exhausting I would assume for the priest, definitely for the people. And the closest thing I can compare, compare it to is, is, again, going back to my Roman Catholic days. That what I had to do, you know, when you went to church, it all started. When you walked in, you dipped your hand in the holy water. You made the sign of the cross. Before you got in your chair, you, you know, had to kneel down. And you, you, there were all these things, you know, may the force be with you and also with you. That wasn't, just kidding. Sorry. I always think of that, but it was peace be with you and also with you. But that was wrong. Strike that from the record. That was mean. But it, you had to say all these things. And then there was the, your first communion, your first confession, your first, um, you know, uh, confirmation. Thank you, ex-Catholics. Yeah. Ex-Catholics, you know. I knew it. I couldn't think of it. You know, then there's the money part. There's the, you know, it's just on and on and on and on it goes. It was a lot to keep track of. And then I hear the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and is heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's the opposite of the sacrificial system, Jesus. How frustrating it would have been to put all that time and effort in and, and still come up short. So we need a better sacrifice, one that can actually save sinners. And, and this is where the story takes a mind-blowing turn because Jesus not only came to be the priest that we needed, but he also came to be the sacrifice that we needed. See, normally the priest would take a lamb into the Holy of Holies and lay that lamb on the altar for our sins. But Jesus laid himself on the altar. He became the sacrifice for us. <laughs> what kind of priest is this that would do that? Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And unlike the sacrifices offered by the Jewish priests that couldn't take away sins, Jesus' blood, his sacrifice was sufficient to pay for all of my sin past, present, and future. All of your sin, past, present, and future. All of the sin that has ever existed, sufficient for it. That's an amazing sacrifice. This is an amazing priest. Do you understand this? One and done. This is awesome. Hebrews 10, 12 explains that when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? Priests don't sit down. They're busy all day long. They got more to do. You know, he sat down because there was nothing more to do. The work was complete. Hebrews 10, 14 says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you realize how good it is to have Jesus as your priest? Not only does he represent us, 
He also took our punishment and paid the debt necessary to clear us. He literally took care of everything once and for all. The three greatest words you'll ever hear are, it is finished. That's what he proclaimed on the cross when he laid down his body for our sins and put an end to the daily sacrificial system. It's not needed any longer. And even that, that's why we see the, ta- the, the, the veil torn in half. It's over. Sinners, cleansed sinners can now walk into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. It's taken care of. This is the incredible news of the gospel. Each one of us is guilty. We each deserve judgment. God's wrath is rightly pointed at us. There's nothing we can do to earn a right standing before God on our own. We can't amass enough good works, but we can go to our priest. Our priest can forgive us of all of our sins. And it doesn't stop there. He's not just the priest of our past. He's the priest of today, priest of today, the priest of tomorrow. For eternity, he will be this priest for us. And if you're anything like me, I need my priest on speed dial. It's like, you know, it's like, hey, Jesus, you're not going to believe what I did this time. You know, I need you to go and intercede for me again. It just seems like a daily thing. But he ever lives to do that, it says. He doesn't take breaks. He doesn't go on holidays. He doesn't, you know, call in sick. He, He ever lives to intercede for us. And this is why the Apostle Paul could ask the rhetorical question in Romans 8, 33, who can bring a charge against God's elect? And the answer is no one can. If he is your priest, you have no reason to fear on the day that you stand before God because all the charges against you have been dropped and Jesus has paid your debt. But you have to go to the priest. You have to go through Jesus. It's the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. Praise God, he's provided a way for us to get to him. You don't need to do, you know, there's no appointment needed. There's no ceremonial washing needed, none of that. You just have to go through Jesus and God will accept you. He'll receive you. This is amazing. A priest does three important things. They provide access to God, a way to draw near. They offer sacrifices for sins and they intercede or mediate between you and God. And we have Jesus as our priest. It's, it's crazy to think about, but to know that I have someone in my corner who knows the worst about me and is still willing to be my priest is pretty fantastic. We couldn't ask for a better priest. He's faithful, which is really good news to those who aren't. And I love that our faithful priest, he's promised to come again. On that day, he's going to usher us into his kingdom in the presence of God, holy and blameless because of what he's done for us. And we will be there for eternity because of him. One day you, you will, because again, because there's no expiration date on the incarnation, one day you will get to see Jesus, your priest, face to face and thank him. Amazing. I long for that day. I look forward to it. I know I'm not worthy of it. I don't understand why he's done it, but he has. There's a beautiful song that we sing from time to time, and, and uh, sometimes when I'm singing a song, I'm just focused on trying to get the notes right, so I'm not paying attention to the lyrics, but these lyrics are good. <laughs> Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hand. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, 
No tongue can bid me thence depart. That just means nobody can say anything to get you kicked out. (laughs) Nobody can screw this up. It's like, what's he doing here? No, Jesus is my intercessor, right? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward, I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's the good news of Christmas. Father, thank you so much that you've given us Jesus. Uh, Lord, it doesn't even make sense that you would do something so good for us, but we know that it's unto your glory, that somehow we are trophies of your grace, that that, that forever through eternity will glorify who you are, your mercy, your love, um, just so much, Lord. So we are in awe of who you are. We are thankful that we have a priest like Jesus, a perfect priest who loves us, even though he knows everything about us and is willing to receive us and bring us into your presence if we will come to him by faith, confessing our sin, turning from it, turning from everything we trust in apart from you, repenting, turning to you in faith and believing that your son, his death, burial, and resurrection is all that we need to trust in to be in your presence. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name.